0: All right, welcome to episode 32. I want to start off by doing something a little bit strange. I'm to start off by recommending another security podcast. Uh, so I recently, in the last few weeks, went and listened to like a whole bunch of security podcasts, like the top, I would say 10 or so. And I listened to a few episodes and I found one that I just really love and I include in my rotational podcasts, um, and that is Risky Business uh it's uh, some australian guys um I, I don't remember their names right now they are very well known they're on like episode 400 or something uh and i really recommend you guys add this to your rotation um i i understand that this could mean that you listen to that one and only that one and you stop listening to this one but uh since my mission is to uh add value then if that happens then it happens um now, let me say why I think you should listen to both. So the podcasts are drastically different. So theirs is extremely well produced. It's, I mean, they probably spend hours and hours and hours, may, maybe even like a week getting an episode together. They have sponsors, uh, you know, it's, it's a big production. Um, so, <clears throat> and and that's a good thing in, in a lot of ways. Right. Um, They um, also have a guest. So the news section, uh, he brings on his uh, friend or or colleague and they talk through news. One thing that they do differently is um, they only talk about a few stories, but they go into more depth. So they have a back and forth about, you know, a couple of uh, news stories for the week, Um, which is which is cool. Um, mine, of course, my aim, so I'm looking at my list right now for news. I've got like probably 20 stories and I go through them very quickly. So it's more of a high level for the, for the news section. Um, the Risky Business Podcast also has a, uh, they have like a sponsored section where they bring on someone to talk about, uh, you know, what their product is and what it does. And of course, the podcast is sponsored. Uh, in part by that vendor as well. Um, it's all really, really good stuff. And, and I definitely recommend you do it. But um, I, I would say that it is different than what I'm doing here, which is very quick, very to the point. Cover the top stories and then go into some more philosophical discussions about ideas, not about necessarily the news stories, although one can usually or often prompt the other. Um, anyway. Wanted to say that if you're going to add another security podcast, it should be risky business. Uh, all, many of the other ones are really fantastic as well, but I think it's it's the uh, best one of of that type. All right, going to go um, and mention kind of the format uh, real quick, just as a refresher of what this podcast does. So news, which is like you know between ten and twenty stories. Hits you really quick with mostly just a headline, maybe one or two sentences of conversation about it. Uh, then ideas, updates, discussion, which is where I go into deeper topics and, and philosophical sort of debate about that thing, how, how it's affecting us, how it affects the law of society, culture, the future, whatever. Um, And then the next section, which I think is pretty unique, I haven't seen it anywhere else, is kind of a tools, talks and projects section where I talk about new tools that got released, cool talks from various security conferences, um, projects on GitHub, stuff like that. So basically all all technical security content type stuff. Um, And then miscellaneous, which is uh, just could be uh, IT news. It could be. Um, anything sort of related to or that I, that I think would be interesting for listeners. So that's in mis- miscellaneous section. And that's kind of what it goes through. So news, ideas, um, talks and projects, and then uh, just whatever else after that. But um, And I usually get through in about 20, 30 minutes. Uh, some are longer, some are shorter. All right. Um, news. So, Verizon Enterprise Solutions had a major data breach of their customer data. So, uh, yeah, pretty bad. Basically, it's a group that handles breaches for their customers. So, it's the group that does like the DBIR report, which is phenomenal, by the way. Um, And uh, one thing that was uh, sort of quoted by someone uh, talking about their thing was that. Virtually every, this is a quote from their reports, virtually every attack in this data set, 98%, was opportunistic in nature, all aimed at easy marks, which, of course, they just got compromised by. It doesn't mean they were an easy mark, but just a little bit of irony there for you. All right, next story, Iranians charged with attacks against U.S. banks in a New York dam. So that, uh, that is happening, uh, some Iranians being charged in those attacks. Um, Hackers steal $81 billion from Federal Reserve Bank of New York. This, I think, was associated with Bangladesh in some sort of way. Uh, Uber launches bug bounty program, describes the surface area with this treasure hunt map. Uh, Treasure map, yeah, so really cool. So they basically described what their surface areas were, what their domains and, and technologies were. Um, to basically give the researchers an advantage in having to do a little bit less research. Um, There was some criticism about the bounty. Um, I'm not sure exactly what it was. It might have been something around them claiming they were giving information when they weren't. I I can't really remember, and I couldn't find the story when I looked for it. But um, pretty cool that a company would come out and not only say, yes, we want you to help hack us, but also... Here's where you should look. New ultra fast SSD technology coming out from Intel soon. Like talking about like 10X or 20X current SSD speeds. That was sexy enough. I had to mention it even though it's not security news. Um, FBI backs off requests for Apple backdoor. Says they basically have it handled. Uh, And we found out recently that was an Israeli company and they paid them like $17,000 to do something. Most people think it's the uh, the NAND copying where you basically copy, try, copy, try, copy, try. But there's some debate about if that's what they're actually using. Uh, water treatment plant was hacked. Chemical mix changed for um, basically the mix of water. So you, you could adjust how much chemicals uh, and of what type were going into the water supply, which is pretty freaky. Um, German steel mill compromised and wrecked. Uh, Basically, a blast furnace was destroyed by an IoT break-in, basically, where they were able to adjust what was going on with the furnace and uh, corn cobbed it. All right. um, Oh, yeah. And that's basically coming after a bunch of attacks uh, against power companies using spear phishing and office malware, uh, which was happening in the Ukraine. Um, Microsoft's AI chatbot uh, was basically themed as a teenage girl. And within one day, it basically learned from the internet. Uh, It basically was talking nonstop about like sex and incest and started saying it loved Hitler and like all kinds of nasty stuff. Uh, Really kind of interesting society (laughs) conversation because... It's like, well, doesn't that happen with real humans too? Uh, don't they become what they're surrounded by? Uh, so I could have been a real girl or a, a chatbot. Either way, if you expose them to garbage, they might turn into garbage. Um, millions of Android devices vulnerable to root exploit due to Snapdragon chip flaw. Not a good thing. Kentucky-based Methodist Hospital declares state of emergency after it's completely wrecked by Lockheed ransomware. Ransomware, big deal, have backups. That's your number one defense. Um, Also don't get compromised in the first place. Uh, Credit card breaches linked to security cameras. Cameras taking uh, images of the uh, card numbers. Um, Chinese National pleads guilty to stealing plans for Air Force aircraft not news at all i'm not sure why it's in the list um because it happens every 20 minutes it seems like hackers offer apple's ireland staff $23,000 for their login credentials interesting i knew this kind of thing was going to be happening i wrote an article i don't know four years ago whenever saying that the attacks were going to move to the humans which A lot of people know that. It's not special or anything, but um, I think we're going to see more and more of it. Ransomware hitting major vulnerabilities. So taking advantage of major vulnerabilities, basically. The Angler, Neutrino, Magnitude, RIG, and Nuclear exploit kits um, spreading via the uh, Flash exploit. Um, Angler spreading versus Flash. uh, So-and-so CVE. Angular Neutrino spreading via another Flash exploit, and Angular spreading via Silverlight CVE. Um, Yeah, so basically whenever cool new volumes come out that affect like lots of different software, especially at the sort of browser user level, expect those to be used a lot by the exploit kits. And Microsoft deploys macro blocking feature in Office to curb malware. Awesome. So that's the news. Uh, next section: ideas, updates, and discussion. Uh, innovation sandbox. All right. So let me pull this, uh, pull this post up that I wrote. I basically did an article about um, the innovation sandbox at RSA. And um, I titled it Innovative Security Products 2016 Edition. Um, And basically, it's a bunch of vendors that compete. They're not on the floor yet necessarily, or maybe they are, but they're kind of uh, future-looking technologies that are fundamentally different from what we have been doing. And I made a list of them because I think they're pretty cool. So not all of them, but most of them. So number one, elusive is a product that places thousands of false paths all over your production network that can only be seen by malicious actors. So basically imagine this. Imagine that every time malware executes, it's opening up a path that does not exist for legitimate users. So you can fundamentally see a difference between malware and and, uh, legitimate users. And basically as they keep opening these doors, they're all fake doors and they're not actually getting to the real thing. Um, and the whole time you're logging, logging and capturing all this information. So really cool uh, idea and technology. Menlo basically proxies and detonates every aspect, aspect of a technology stack and only provides the real client with benign sanitized output. So imagine like a proxy but for everything. So if you get content from the internet, it goes and gets it for you, you know, opens it, detonates it, executes it, whatever, takes the content, creates it brand new and gives you the content, whether it's like text output or XML or whatever, but it never gives you the actual thing from the actual tech stack. Uh, Super cool. Skyport is a virtualized security architecture that puts your app with no changes into an environment that secures the app from layer two to seven. It's awesome. Uh, Safe breach performs constant real world attacks on the network in order to validate your controls. This one's pretty cool. So it's like a automated pen testing and like including like data egress and everything Uh, on, on a box, I believe. <clears throat> happening all the time on your network uh, testing your controls phantom is the connection connective tissue that links all the various pieces of security functionality from every product you have installs installed into an automated workflow so basically it connects <clears throat> like all the apis from all the products you have and then based on like a use case it links all these things together into a workflow that's, that's how I understand that. It's called phantom. Uh, Previty does extremely high-speed application security filtering within an application's runtime. That's pretty cool. And Bastille is hardware and software system that performs security filtering on IoT systems. So um, pretty cool stuff. Um, and, and I'm basically going to keep making a, a list of these and, or, or update this list or something. Uh, whenever this project comes out from RSA or wherever else it is. Next topic, AI and messaging apps um, are the new mobile apps. So this is really cool. Um, found like a buried story somewhere talking about how Facebook is releasing APIs um, to allow developers to create chatbots. And at first you're like, okay, that's dumb. Like, or at least it's not very special, so what, nobody cares. But that's not really true. So so basically right now when you want to interact with an application, you open up a mobile app and you click through its interface, which is different than other interfaces, and you sort of figure it out and you interact with it manually. Well, people like to use text. They want to text things. They want to issue commands. So the, the way I'm capturing this is That the mobile interface itself is kind of like a, it's a stopgap. It's a primitive first step that is not very natural. And the real natural way to do this is like, you know, Star Trek Next Generation, where you say, computer, do this. Computer, tell me how many people are on deck four. Computer, make me tea. Computer, do this. Computer, do that. So you're issuing commands. Now, you can't always use your voice, um, but you can usually do text, right? Unless you're driving or something, but some combination thereof will work. And the idea for these chatbots is you issue commands, and, and I would say this is, the, this is the idea for the future of apps in general. You issue commands, and it's the responsibility of the company on the other side and it's AI technology to interpret what you want, what you said, what you asked for, what you commanded, and to execute it on your behalf, and then to respond back. It says, oh yeah, I did this for you, and maybe it's a little you know snarky about it or whatever. So you can have like a personality on the other side. So some of these AI you'll just be talking to, and its job will be to entertain you and act like a real person. Some of these AI, its job will be to interpret your request and execute commands on your behalf. But the point is, when this gets good, and it's just now starting on Facebook, but when it gets good, why are you opening a mobile app and typing around and poking around in a mobile app? You shouldn't have to do that. You should just say, I want to do this, do this for me, find this for me, deliver these flowers, get me pizza, Get me better pizza than last time. Get me pizza from the same place I got last time. Get me my friend's favorite pizza. All these things should just be interpreted by the other side and executed. So that's kind of a really cool idea about how apps in general can change uh, and might be changing. All right, next one. Human attention as a tax service. So this is really cool. Um, There was a cool article that came out. Uh, basically talking about how modifying search engine results could influence people's opinions of things. And it was a very long article and it was quite creepy. Um, then I watched House of Cards, a little bit of spoiler here, if you want to fast forward um, or not, it's, it's not too much of a spoiler. But uh, basically I was watching House of Cards and you know, someone basically hired someone like this to actually do this influence. And you know, it was working for them or whatever. And That's fiction, but it's not really fiction. Then think about this. There's a lot of conversation right now with like Bernie Sanders and like how he's not getting any press coverage. So what happens when reality of performance in the world or reality of how much people like a product or whatever is not reflected in search results? or, you know, comments or something like that. Um, It's fascinating because, according to media, Bernie's, he's been out for a long time. You know, he has no chance of winning, but he keeps winning all these big states, but the mainstream media is not covering it all. So in effect, they are affecting, and this is media, but the same could apply to search engines. Um, They are affecting reality in the minds of people, which in turn Uh, affects actual reality so I had the idea that um, sort of going off of this basically anything you allow into your mind anything you listen to any person you talk to any interaction that you have you should sort of imagine as code executing on your brain and you don't know what that code is doing so this is where it got interesting right If you go to movies, um, like the first Exorcist movie, when they first aired it, or one of the versions anyway, they had like these flashing subliminal faces of like demons and stuff. And it would like hit people and they were vomiting in the aisles. They were just like extremely revolted. They were running out of the theater screaming. They were freaking out. They had to reissue the movie without those clips in it uh, because you couldn't even see it with your regular eye, but the brain was seeing it. Uh, so when you have all these techniques, like, you know, like the uh, un- underground, not like crazy hypnosis, but uh, NLP type stuff, where influence, where people are using their voice modulation, they're mirroring your, your actions, The people interacting with you by itself, everything is an influence, everything is a sell, everything is an advertisement, everything is marketing. So when you're talking to someone or hell, even listening to this podcast, someone is trying to execute something on your brain, right? So when you're walking down the street and someone's like, hey, do you want to buy this? You know, some girl walks up to you and was like, hey, can you help me do this? What is being executed on your brain, um, especially in a business meeting or in a negotiation or someone's like, hey, you know what, Let, let's step away. Let's let's get some beers. Let's get away from this thing. Let's have some honest conversation. Well, the very next thing they're about to say to you, now that you're having a, an air quote honest conversation, oh, now you move it down from you know ring two to ring one, and now it's more trusted because they just said you're gonna have an honest conversation, right? Well, now that code or whatever they're about to say is more trusted, has more of an impact on you, and could potentially influence you more. So applies to reading, it applies to looking at ads, it applies to marketing. Um, and what it got me thinking was, as a pen tester, as a security person, holy crap, this means that unless I'm in a cave, thinking my own thoughts, sort of meditating, I could just assume that my brain and my personality and my everything, my perceptions and my understanding of the world are being yanked back and forth by all these various influences, many of which are Possibly even most of which I don't understand. I'm being manipulated in ways that I don't. I don't get. And a lot of it's minor. <clears throat> some of it's you know medium, but maybe some of it's major, and maybe I don't know. So that's the overall concept. Um, human attention. If something has your attention, even subconscious attention. Maybe it's an attack surface that you have to defend, um, and maybe that's why you know you don't watch uh, bad TV or listen to bad media because garbage in, garbage out. All right, Um, most can't respond to breaches. Yeah, this is, uh, I got got a little graphic here. So um, 80% of all surveyed organizations, who knows how large the survey was? uh, I think it was pretty decent. Concerned about the consequences of a large public breach, 17% of respondents have um, experienced a data breach that that, um, they are aware of over the previous 12 months. Only 45% of respondents believe their company has adequate resources to detect all breaches. 75% of respondents have developed an incident response plan, but only about 42% have tested them. 60% said that IT is responsible for mani- managing the data breach response. That's frightening. 64% purchase cyber insurance, but most breaches fall below the cyber insurance policy deductible. Um, 75% prefer to receive all cybersecurity risk services from a single vendor. Fascinating stuff. <clears throat> um I'm fascinated with response to breach, um, response to attacks, detection and response. Prevention is cool, but everyone's talking about that. We have been. It's failing. I want to know how companies can detect and respond to, to incidents. Um, and if you're out of place, you should be thinking about how you can do that. Um, how your data is collected and commoditized online by free online services. So Troy Hunt did an awesome article about this, uh, basically talking about <laughs> the the uh, business around this, like the different components of the business. Some people collect, some people sell, some people filter, some people do all this. And uh, you should definitely check it out. It's in the notes. Um, you should also check out the first comment in that thread, which is really phenomenal. Um, tools, talks, and projects all right so um 2016 data breach digest so i just did a um a post yesterday i think uh last night or something like that um and i looked at the data breach report um data breach digest report by verizon um yes the same verizon that just got compromised but uh happens to a lot of people so i wouldn't beat them up it's still an awesome report um But um, so basically this report, man, these reports are just so phenomenal. I don't feel like enough people read them uh, or I feel like not enough people read them. That's a better way to say that sentence. But um, so the DBIR report is famous. That that one's pretty famous. But most people just look at the front front few pages and they're like, oh, this looks amazing. Um, I'll go and tell other people that it's amazing. But they don't read the whole thing, not most people. Obviously, I don't know the percentages, but I bet you it's super low. Um, Well, they do another report. This one is scenario-based. It's called the Data Breach Digest. And I just went through and read the entire thing and parsed it into this blog post. Um, And basically, it's scenarios. It had like 19 scenarios. Let me go to the site again. Um, Yeah, so here are a couple scenarios. Um, I'll just hit these bullets covers 2015 obviously uh, it's a 2016 report covers the previous year over 500 cybersecurity incidents over 40 countries 70 contributors it uses varus vocabulary for event recording and incident sharing uh, it looks at a subset which is 18 scenarios based on prevalence and lethality across the larger set and um, And basically, it goes through, um, like, these 18 scenarios. So um, social tactics used in about 20% of confirmed data breaches. That's cool. Um, Email is a primary means of communication of the target, 72%, followed by in-person deception, 18%, and phone calls, 12%, with some overlap. Um, So scenario one, let me go through these real quick. Scenario one, Chinese company targets head design engineer and infects a system with malware pivots extracts tons of sensitive ip from the network number 2 someone clicks an infected link in office um no in the office that authorizes bank transfers scenario 3 iterator based uh web vuln allowed extraction of customer data which led to an extortion attempts um I'll stop saying the numbers. Insider reads CEO CEO emails through misconfigured spam filter. Partner access is abused to extract customer card data. USB malware infects film studio executive with the intent of stealing an unreleased movie. Um, Altered PEDs, which are keypads, um, AS400-based SCADA system, and numerous internet-facing vulnerabilities lead to PII theft. Infected system on BYOD network, blacklist corporate network because they share the same NAT egress point as the production network. Banking victim has malware infected decrypt, encrypted ATM transactions just because they saw so many of them. Um, SQLi issue on payroll site lets attackers modify and fix and then re uh, re, sort of uh, restore Paycheck values, Um, so basically they would change paychecks, send them to a different place, and then change them back. So when someone went and looked for what was sent out, it had the the correct values in there. It was sneaky. Uh, Attackers compromise custom CMS upload function to extract data about what material will be on what boats at what time, and then they go out and actually pirate the ships. Um, I'm not sure I could use that like a verb. I'm of IoActive, so I guess that's cool. Malware and R&D department looking to extract key research, Um, data extraction over DNS, ransomware, uh, advanced malware creates P2P mesh network using UDP 53, which looks like DNS server and traffic, RAM scraping POS malware, And SQLI, password dumping malware, notification by the FBI that their systems were being used. So each one of these has a really sick infographic, followed by like the whole narrative of what happened. And of course, it's anonymized. Uh, It used to be before they got breached. Um, But yeah, super cool stuff. Very, very high quality reports. Um, Definitely recommend uh, reading the whole thing. Um, And I've got the link on the post. All right, next thing. um, Idea expansion format. Uh, I'll skip that one. It's it's similar to mind mapping. It's on the side if you want to take a look on my site. Uh, Bindiff has been released by uh, Google. Really cool. Uh, Intel MQ is a solution for certs for collecting and processing security feeds paste bins, tweets, and log files using a message queuing protocol. That's sick. Uh, BinMap is a system scanner. It takes a system or system image and walks through all files, looking for programs and libraries and collecting various information. Uh, The Android testing framework is a data collection and analysis framework to help individuals um, test uh, Android-based mobile apps machine. I'm not sure how to pronounce this, N-A-E is the end part, Um, is a tool for collecting intelligence from public sites, Uh, feeds about various security-related pieces of data, IP addresses, domain names, URLs, um, all that goodness. Pretty cool. MISP, malware information sharing platform and threat sharing it's a mouthful, Um, is an open-source software solution for collecting, storing, distributing, and sharing cybersecurity indicators um, and information about threats. DIRB, not to be confused with D-B-I-R, is a web content scanner, a.k.a. domain brute forcing tool. Lots of those out there. It looks for existing and or hidden web objects, Um, basically launches dictionary attacked, Spells analyzing with an S, so probably British um, folks in charge. But um, that's it for those projects. So basically, this section, it's got a whole bunch of uh, tools, and you can just, you know, look for the name. Um, I often put links in the show notes as well. Announcements. Uh, Alexa is still better than Siri. All right, that's all I have for that section. I wasn't able to understand the question I heard. (laughs) How about that? I was just talking about that last year. Yeah, so um, that was her. I won't say her name because she interrupts. Miscellaneous. Scientists find you could change your mood by listening to the sound of your own voice altered to sound like a specific emotion. So you could record your voice. Um. You could record your voice and modify it in some way to be either angry or sad or happy or whatever. I'm assuming, I didn't read the full thing, but it's pretty obvious from the title. Um, and then play it back to yourself and it will make you feel like that emotion. Uh, which makes sense because it's um, it's this concept called mirroring where when you experience emotion from someone else, it actually fires that emotion in yourself. That's why seeing someone cry can make you cry and same with anger and stuff like that. Um, Derek Severs or Sivers book list, um, cool list of books from him, um, and he does like some reviews uh, or captures or summaries, same same as I do. So put that link in there. Um, you need to be listening to the A Z no A sixteen Z podcast. This is like the sickest tech podcast. It's like future of tech. Coming trends, like really, really cool stuff. It's it's done by the Anderson uh, Horowitz folks. Um. And I also just did a post on dot before Twitter handle. Um. So basically, uh, I'll just tell you what it is. So basically, if you do an at reply to somebody, so someone says something to, to you on Twitter and you hit reply, that post now starts with at something you know, at somebody, whatever their username is. You then write something after the, the handle and you send it, right? You, you tweet it up. Well, most people think that that goes to your followers. It doesn't. It only goes to followers that are both following you and the person you just replied to. So the default position or the default state for the, for Twitter is if you do an at reply, your followers do not receive it unless they are also following the person you replied to, which in most cases is not very often, okay? Especially if you talk to lots of people on Twitter. So in order to make your at replies go to all of your followers, you can prepend, you just add a period before the at. So instead of doing at, whatever, Haddocks or at, you know, Portswigger or whoever you're talking to, you do at, I'm sorry, you do dot at um, whoever. And that will uh, send the tweet out to them, um, to all your followers instead of uh, just the people who follow both of you. And that is it for this episode. I will see you next time.